Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Antibacterial resistance is a huge problem facing the world today. Now, Australian honey is starting to catch up to the amazing techniques of Monica honey in New Zealand, and we find out how that helps with antibiotic treatment. Plus, the way in which bacteria use codes and helping each other out to help fight against our antibiotics and what we can do to stop them. Australia and New Zealand compete and are rivals in many different things, though we're geographically close and culturally very similar both from our historical roots and our indigenous peoples, uh, we have, have an intense rivalry in sport, such as cricket and rugby, or in other areas of life, uh, and if Australian or New Zealand are successful, one country will try and claim the other. But we also work collaboratively. And when it comes to biosecurity and research, specifically in the agricultural sciences, Australia and New Zealand have a lot in common. We're both island nations, which means that we have an ability to control what comes into the country well, and that enables us to protect species and helps us really foster and grow new types of unique flora and fauna in our countries. Now, one of the great parts about the New Zealand ecosystem is that they have a lot of different types of species of bees and flowers. And in particular, the Manuka type of uh, flower which is found on leptospirum trees, uh, produces wonderful honey when collected by bees, uh, Monica honey. And Monica honey has not only a good taste and very interesting and, and nice, it also has incredible antibacterial properties. In fact, it's a very potent antibacterial that's formed inside the very flower itself. And for years, this medicinal benefit of these anti- antibacterial Monica flowers from New Zealand have been widely shown and understood. But not to be left behind, Australia has worked very hard to try and catch up in this space. After all, uh, there's only one type of species of Leptospirum trees or Manuka trees in New Zealand and in Australia. There's 83 of the 87 known species across the world. So obviously, Australia has a lot to gain if we could figure out some way to make this honey have the same kind of antibacterial qualities as the fabled New Zealand Monica honey. And some recent work being done out of the University of Technology of Sydney, UTS, by Professor Liz Harry, working as part of a grant in conjunction with universities from University of Sydney, University of the Sunshine Coast, as part of the Rural Industries Research and Development Corporation, have been investigating uh, about 80 different honey samples from New Zealand and Queensland from these Monica trees to see if they can have the same kind of antibacterial benefits as the New Zealand counterparts do, and if this can be medicinized to be used as a treatment for antibiotic resistance. Now, as we know, antibiotic resistance is a huge medical problem at the moment, where our antibiotics and antibacterial treatments uh, are becoming less and less effective because what we're treating, the bacteria themselves, are getting more and more adapted and resilient. And so a new treatment for this would always be beneficial. Now, between different trees and flowers, there's different types of flavours, as well as chemical and medicinal properties. And this makes sense. That's why bees go to different flowers. They're attracted to them for similar reasons, for their nectar. And what makes Monica honey, or Monica generated from the nectar from, or honey generated from the nectar of Monica flowers, is that it actually has a very, very stable antibacterial activity because of the natural occurring compound in the Monica flower nectar. 
And we know it's very strong antibacterial treatment against things such as staph, golden staph, and other superbugs, which are resistant to, you know, other antibiotics in the market at the moment. The actual chemical compound itself is methylglyoxal. And this methylglyoxal is actually is found in Australian Monica honeys. Uh, and it can be sort of adapted and improved much in the same way that the New Zealand one has been. And this is also really, really important, not just because Australia is trying to outdo New Zealand, but the New Zealand only has, as mentioned before, one type of Leptospirum tree. And its honeybee population itself, too, is being threatened by a parasite, the Varroa mite. So if we can increase the resilience of our supply here, it actually helps everybody out and take some of the criticality off New Zealand. The, whilst there's only around uh, 200,000 hives used for commercial pollination and honey production, uh, and about 30,000 tonnes of honey produced annually in Australia, if we're able to use this for medicinal purposes as well, it may encourage further development of this industry, particularly as our other antibiotic treatments become more and more difficult. So it just goes to show, to find a new antibiotic treatment, sometimes we have to look at unusual places. And when we find something in nature that has great healing benefits, we do studies, we do research, and we prove those and figure out how to adapt that for the rest of modern medicine. Now, gossip and bad news spreads very, very rapidly, and that is also the case when it comes to antibacterial resistance. And in particular, we've been studying the way in which Staphylococci bacteria cells, or golden staph bacteria, actually respond to and pass on any developments that they might have about developing resistance to antibiotic treatments. So if one antibacteria or one bacteria cell sort of picks up oh i found out a new way to fight this uh, drug that's killing us this antibiotic that's killing us how do they spread that information to the rest of the cell and in what mechanism are they using to do so so rapidly because that is fundamental to understanding how to combat antibiotic resistance because that's what we're seeing with our current antibiotics in the marketplace we have bacteria such as golden staff that are very, very harmful to humans and animals. And we need a treatment, so we develop antibiotics to fight and kill those bacteria. But the problem is these bacteria learn what weapons we're using to kill them with, and over time become more and more resistant. Now this resistance builds up and spreads across the populace, not just in the individual patient. But inside that individual patient, uh, when a resistant gene is developed, how does this information pass on, and how does it benefit the rest of the cells around it? And some great work being done at the University of Groningen by microbiologists, uh, published recently in PLOS Biology on the 27th of December, goes a long way to show how this uh, antibiotic-resistant cells pass on the information to the other cells around them. And not only that, the uh, antibiotic-resistant bacteria cells can actually sort of insulate and protect those who don't yet have that resistant gene in place by making the dilution of the concentration of the antibiotics safer and tolerable. So what exactly happens here? Well, effectively, by studying the behavior of the staphylococci um, bacteria, what they did is they, they gave one uh, part of this, this sort of culture of bacteria uh, the resistance gene, and they gave it a marker so you could observe it as it happens. And then that next to it, you have some other parts of the staphylococci bacteria that doesn't have the resistant gene. 
So they've specifically engineered these two sort of cultures of bacteria, one to be resistant, one not to be resistant, and put them together. And then they expose the antibiotic to both this sort of group culture to see how it responds. And what they actually noted is that the green, let's call it the resistant one, um, not only did it cope fine when the antibiotics were exposed to this region, it sort of surrounded the uh, non-resistant bacteria. It decreased the concentration of the antibiotic chloramphenicol. So what happens in these two, these two cultures together is the, the resistant bacteria, the one with the resistant gene, uh, continues to divide and grow, whereas the, the one who doesn't have the resistance obviously doesn't, it doesn't divide and grow anymore, it sort of stalls, which means that the, the resistant ones sort of outgrow their companions. But even more so, the, the resistant cells actually take in the antibiotic, the, in this case, the chloramphenicol, and they deactivate it. And at a certain point, uh, basically at, over time, they deactivate more and more of the antibiotic inside this area, and reduce the concentration down to a safe level that, uh, well, the rest of the cells then also start to grow again. So the non-antibiotic resistant bacteria sort of stalls for a bit whilst the antibiotic resistant bacteria eats up all the antibiotics. And once it's sort of decreased down to a safe level, both of them start to grow together. And that just shows how dangerous it can be to actually try and treat antibiotic resistant bacteria. We've seen similar effects like this before. For example, um, cells with a resistance to penicillin, a very common antibiotic, uh, can secrete beta-lactamase enzymes, which actually break down the antibiotic. Uh, or not in, but in this case, the actual antibiotic is deactivated inside the resistant cells themselves, rather than secreting an enzyme or an agent to do so. And I think also importantly in this study, it shows that the non-resistant cells don't die, they just stall they basically go on halt to give them time to sort of react and respond to the, the antibiotic that they can't deal with and then move past it. And this is very also useful information to know for developing future treatment pathways. So collaboration between bacteria is important and it's one of the reasons why developing antibiotics is such a difficult task. So this is some great work being done at the University of Bennigan. Whether it be securing your pictures of your dog on Instagram or maybe protecting your bank account details or hiding troops behind enemy lines, codes and encryption is incredibly important for securing the world. And inside our cells, inside our body, antibiotic resistance has a similar coded message. When cells love bacteria infiltrate our bodies, we try and kill it using antibiotics and other treatments inside ourselves and, anti and pathogens. But the body has to try and crack the code that the bacteria are using to communicate amongst themselves. And that's where the bacteria prove themselves to be a very, very worthy adversary. So researchers from the Aarhus University and University of Copenhagen in Denmark have been studying the way in which bacteria can employ things such as palindromes to act as effectively codes for the sequences and to protect themselves from antibiotics. Now, pathogenic bacteria such as that that cause tuberculosis and typhoid fever basically have a lot of different tricks to hide from our immune system. 
and also any antibiotics we use to try and treat them. And basically, they need to try and disguise themselves and bury the bad information that they have so they can interact and sort of take over cells and, and you know, and an important part to understand how these codes work is to understand that when we talk about the molecular biology, that is the underlying principle for how some of these bacteria actually infiltrate and impact cells. Um, what we actually have to understand is it's a very geometric puzzle, a huge puzzle. And to understand way in which some things work and some things don't, you need to understand the complex three-dimensional structure and the way that it interacts with each other. Because inside these amino acids and genes, of specific regions of DNA, you're trying to basically line up and lock together different elements of uh, sequence. Uh, and by changing and modifying this sequence and locking it together in different ways, you can actually end up with different things. That's kind of a broad definition of how molecular biology works. Um, but it's fundamentally significant for one particular reason. And to hide these pathogenic bacteria, uh, they basically need to have a technique of encryption and the, the technique they use is palindromes now a palindrome is a word that's spelt the same way in either direction so kayak for example is a word that is spelt the same no matter which way you look at it hannah is another one um, and this type of palindrome means that no matter which way you approach it uh, the sequence can be read and can function and that is really really important if you're trying to line up and lock in these these molecular structures into each other. And the reason why they use these embedded palindromes is in this long sequence of amino acid inside the bacteria, it will lie dormant until you get the right palindrome to lock into the structure and then it will activate. And that's pretty fascinating. Basically, everyone's in the, the hideout mode until they receive the right signal that locks in and then they turn on. So normally, toxins inside uh, bacterial cells are kept in check by antitoxins. Um, but what happens is that the antitoxins use a, a palindrome code to actually block <laughs> two toxins at the same time on either end, so no matter which way you approach it. So it sort of fits in as a nice little block, like a key in a lock. Um, and the reason why that works is because the two toxins in the, in the code sequence are actually rotated 180 degrees relative to each other. So no matter which way you approach it, it sort of blocks it. And it seems more and more they started to look for this weird palindromic structure. They found more and more of them. In fact, recent analysis has shown us over 4,000 bacterial genomes which have this palindromic structure in place. And it's estimated that about a quarter of all known bacteria use these little codes to sort of survive. And it just goes to show that we, we need to understand the coded language of bacteria more and more if we want to develop new bacteria, antibacterial techniques. So not only do we need to understand the way that bacteria can insulate each other, uh, the way in which we can use natural treatments to fight bacteria, but also the coded language that they're using. So the fight against antibiotic resistance is truly an arms race. And much like any war, it's a constant struggle to understand what the enemy is up to, know the secret languages that they're talking, and fight back. So this is some great research being done out of the University of Copenhagen and also the Aarhus University in Denmark. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. The antibacterial properties of Monica honey, plus the way palindromes help protect bacteria from antibiotics, as well as the way that some antibiotics can work together to disguise themselves and hide out until things die down from the antibiotics. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.